0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of our Puget Systems podcast. Uh, This is a special uh, episode where uh, we've kind of decided to add in, as part of our potpourri of content, um, these sort of event debriefs when we go to um, a show or a convention, a big event that is related to kind of what we do. Uh, Internally, we have a debrief. Uh, the folks that we send out there they come back they tell us all the cool stuff that they saw and learned and how that like is going to apply to the business so we thought we would share that with you guys our audience um i always like to start off uh with our guests go ahead and give yourselves a little intro of who you are and what you do matt we'll start with you so um I'm Matt have been at Puget
1: forever. Uh I focus on uh post production mostly. So like what are people doing in post? How you know, how can we make sure our systems are designed for it? Um which is why HPA, we're talking about HPA Tech Retreat, which is the Hollywood Professionals Association, it like it sounds like it'd be right up my alley, like post, uh but actually post like rarely came up. It it was it was interesting
2: mm. uh, like what they actually ended up focusing on. Yeah. And Jared? My name is Jared Lewis. I work in business development here at Puget Systems and also technology consultant. So I help um, match workflows to hardware uh, for a better way of saying it. Um, so always trying to keep up on what's latest trends in every industry, latest trends in hardware. How do those things match and interact? So it's a great chance to get together with um <clears throat> Probably, as you know, the, the unheard side of Hollywood, those technical minds behind all the magic that we see. Um, really, really cool to see it. Not only that, but get some info on how they're using technology. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes that stuff don't, doesn't always come up in the day to day. So really, really uh, a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and I totally missed that part. The, the event we're talking about is the HPA Tech Retreat. Thank you, Matt, for mentioning that. I'll I'll be better about this in the future. First time we've done this, this kind of episode. so um, And, yeah, so, yeah, that is interesting to hear that the post side of things wasn't really talked about a lot. Um, but as always with this show that we do, it is always cool to see more of, of behind the scenes of how – The content that we end up consuming at the at the end product uh, is actually created. A lot, like you said, a lot of times we don't really get to see or hear about how the magic is made. So, um, I guess let's just start off. Like, what stood out to you, Matt? um, Well, I I think. Actually,
1: like even even keeping it back a, a step for a second here, like because HPA, again, it, it's Hollywood. But the one thing that kind of surprised me at this event is actually how much there was broadcast. Uh, oh. So like t- that actual like live live events, you know, think, think like, you know, Fox Sports, oh. you know, that kind of stuff. There's there's a lot of focus on broadcast. And I think some of it might just be because this year um, they do what's called a super session. So the, it's a whole day and like everything is on one topic. From, okay. you know different people different angles but it's one topic and this year the super session was virtual production so everyone thinks like you know mandalorian big led walls and stuff and you know that was mm-hmm. a big part uh but also like really things like green screen is kind of the same sure. thing and then you're sending uh you know like a 3d environment like they've been using that for news and sports for years now uh so yeah. that might be part of it it's just like hey this is that big topic and hey look like live broadcast has been doing it for a while it's just a little bit Different. It's not an LED wall. It's, you know, all done in uh, in the computer rather than in camera. Right. Uh, but so, yeah, it, it was interesting how much like
0: it, it was like a session with like Fox Fox Sports and, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. That's a good thing. That's a good point to, to kind of clarify that. Uh, a lot of, especially uh, like sports broadcasting, seems to be on these sort of virtual sets. Um, you'll have somebody kind of walk out onto a bit of a stage, but like everything around them, even probably the floor that they're standing on, is all digital. It's painted in sort of or comped in live Um in the moment and and sometimes sometimes if not for working here i wouldn't really have realized it either you just kind of like accept that as as a thing but yeah yeah it's really interesting to see where this sort of technology has kind of wiggled its fingers into things without us really realizing it
1: yeah. Well, and even some of the sports things, what I always I, I find hilarious is sometimes they like they make it look like it's a big like bank of TVs and like, no, it's it's all fake. <laughs> I like, it's not actually TVs, but they make it look like it's TVs to make it like be like, I, I don't know, so you like can get it. But, yeah. So like, they make it look real, but no, it's not at all. And then other yeah, things that they have yeah. the dancing robot
2: and you know. yeah. In fact, the closing uh, closing keynote was uh, Fox's vice president of of basically technology properties and and such. But one of the things he emphasized was how those two worlds are blending. And they used to be very very separate. Not only we saw that sort of first with the performers. As it, weird as that sounds, you know, it used to be that. If you were in movies, you didn't, you didn't perform on television. That was kind of beneath you. Oh, sure. As we've seen television become more serialized with streaming, we've seen actors sort of move fluidly between the two, so it makes sense that you see it, the way that they produce the two. <clears throat> Pardon me. And they actually spoke the um, one of the the first night uh, presentations was about the Super Bowl halftime show um, and how it was very much done with Cinema Kid. And it was fascinating because you have to coordinate different camera formats, camera styles. And there's so many things within that, you know, each of those cameras bring that all together and have this cohesive thing that goes out without a hitch. And from a technology perspective, yeah, it's, it's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, Oh, that's cool.
1: But but, uh, but yeah, so we mentioned like virtual productions. Uh, to me, I think there were three main categories. There was virtual production was big, biggest one by far. Mm-hmm. Um, cloud always comes up, especially in, in these guys' things, because ha- half the time when they're talking about cloud, they're talking about distribution. So like Netflix, Oh, oh okay. uh, you know, cloud okay. rather than like, like working editing. in the cloud. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, editing kind of did too. Uh, and then the third one was uh, AI uh, artificial intelligence that always seems to like come up like especially if anyone's been to like NAB like there's been AI sessions like dozens of them a day for like four or five years sure. um, so some of it's that um, but yeah this year actually if you mind switching to my screen if you oh, have it up yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So one, if you want, want to check out HBA, like it's just hbaonline.com. Uh, but the one, the cool thing that they do is they actually have um, they have like photographers there taking pictures and then they put them all out. Uh, and so I brought a couple up just for people to kind of get context of like what it's like. Yeah. So oh, that doesn't really make it bigger, does it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it's just like, you know, a whole bunch of people in a room, you know, all everyone having to wear masks because, you know, it's still mask sure. mandates and stuff. Uh, oh, that wasn't what I wanted to go. Um, so a bunch of people in a room, but well, what they did interesting this year is they had um, three LED volumes uh, set up on the end of the room, because, again, they're talking a whole bunch about virtual production and, and LED volumes. And so they just had, you know, three you know demos. Honestly, I don't even remember what who the companies were, who, who were doing them. I don't even know if they were really focusing on the companies. This is more just like, here's everything that goes into it, because, you know, hey, you probably want to start using it. Um, so that, that was interesting that, like, yeah, it was that much of a focus for virtual production that uh, they actually brought in companies to do things on on site for these kind of things because it's it's a lot of work to get that stuff working. Yeah. Um and there are some things like okay they, they went kind of bare bare uh you know essential things working only uh and you know they just barely made it you know in the four days of setup they had because like they, they weren't moving the camera at all. Like the camera was just static. It was more just like here's what the tech is and so you can have people to talk to and everything.
2: Um Oh and that, that was And they and they did um, have it to a level where they had several live environments you know and you could see mm-hmm. on the monitor exactly how it. So even in that informal of a setup you could see you know how how it presents. And it, I mean it's just amazing you know to see what it's capable of. And this is not as Matt said, this is low scale. You know, this is not a full studio setup. Right.
1: Yeah, but but just hearing about all the problems and all the like, the, hearing the honestly, it was actually more they were talking about the cons more than the pros because I, I think with this crowd, they understand what the benefits is sure. like getting uh, in camera like lighting. You know, and reflections and, you know, all of that kind of stuff is kind of like, okay, yeah, they get it already. You know, knowing that, like, hey, you wanna shoot a golden hour scene or a near sunset, you can just do that all day. Like, that's not a 30 minute window where you're trying to fit it in. It's a whenever you want. Hey, yeah, you want, like, environment to be like, rain or like nighttime environment you don't have to like do that in post like you know shoot it at 2 p.m and then make it look like nighttime um, yeah that's
2: funny. so I like when he talked about that he said pitching this to different producers and he said you know what if i can make it golden hour for as long as you want and i, I remember thinking of movies like field of dreams as one where they talked oh, about yeah. so much of that movie occurred at sunset like the last 30 minutes and they had to go back for days and days and days to try to get that wow. movie. Um, that's huge you know, or re- even the ability with the you know with the new tools for focus, I mean, so much that you can do, you know, eliminates a lot of problems and allows creators to just create.
1: It also adds a lot of problems that they were talking about. Um, sure. Like, what, what, what were some of the ones? They it was um, well one cost. Uh, although cost is actually like a, it's interesting. Like they're saying some of these volumes, it costs like a hundred thousand dollars a day to to rent it out. But like, okay, how expensive is it to get your entire like crew out to? New Zealand or wherever you want to shoot, like, it's going to be way more than that. Um, so it's actually like cost almost isn't like a, a factor, uh, but it changes the workflow entirely. Like, mm-hmm. usually you would shoot things and then like, OK, you want to add in effects and, you know, things in the background, like you want to make it look like you're in a field, but really, you're just like in front of a house. Um, Normally you do that in post. Now you do that in pre, like you do in like a pre-vis state. So it changes the workflow where a lot of the like heavier, harder to do things aren't done afterwards the shoot anymore. Now they have to do it before the shoot because like you really want to get it right in camera. Uh, and so, it's, yeah, it's just completely altering everything. But it, it's also cool to hear how they're using this, not just for like LED volumes. Like, okay, if they have to make this all ahead of time. Well, heck, they can do all of their things like blocking and camera angles. They could do that all ahead of time. So that, like, when they get on shoot, like they're not like trying different things. It's like, mm. all right, well, here's the shot we want to be. The camera's going to be here. We're going to do a pan in or a you know, tilt or whatever and done. Nice. And, like, yeah, they, they don't have to, like, try a whole bunch. Um, yeah, they're, they're also talking about expanding this to do like um, virtual location scouting. So uh, they still want to shoot a lot of things, you know, on site at, you know, sure. at other places. Uh, and so you can combine things like Google Earth with like, you know, some basic 3D models. And you can see how, like, what would this location look like at 2pm on this date? And like, you can see like, oh yeah, the shadows will go this way, the sun will be over there. And like, so they can like scout out locations even ahead of time, which that that's a pretty cool use, you know, in my opinion, but like, Oh yeah, like yeah, if you already have all these things in Unreal Engine or whatever, yeah, it doesn't have to be just for the, you know, shooting, you can use it for the planning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's got to help out with just just overall production in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having like Unreal or I imagine a lot of it is Unreal. I was going to say Unity, but it's probably a lot of most it's Unreal, Unreal Engine. Yeah. Um, you I remember there was a, a an article about um how In for for Avengers Endgame, they had basically the whole final fight scene planned out like six years ago or six years before the thing even come out. It was all gray and and no textures or anything, but they knew what they were doing years ahead of time. And I imagine that helps out quite a lot in in the end. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, honestly, the, the
1: time of like... Technicians, like people who do like the you know the post work to work in Unreal, like they get paid really good money, but it's nothing compared to like the directors, the VPs, the the actors. You know, like man, if if you only have to have you know Nicholas Cage there for one day instead of a week, like yeah, that's like half your budget. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of money. <laughs> uh, so it saves them a lot of time. Uh, but it was also interesting hearing how it shifted the like uh the workforce kind of like one it came up multiple times the main problem they have right now isn't the technology it's the people who can like do it yep. um you know they're moving to unreal and like well none of these guys know how know how to use unreal you know even if they have people who are like very good like animators or vfx you know they're heavy in like houdini and nuke and all that stuff they've never touched Unreal; they don't know how it works and so that's one of their biggest hurdles right now mm-hmm. is just the people and um uh, but yeah, it's interesting to me though cuz like like we look at Unreal and we're like, "Oh yeah, there's so many people using it because like you only have to pay isn't it? You only have to pay based on your like actual game sales or something, so it's yeah, like otherwise I think, free."
0: I think there might be some other limitations, but yeah, I think it's over a million in sales that's when you start yeah. paying a royalty to Epic.
1: So it's like there's all these indie game devs and all this kind of stuff, but and yet they're talking about how they have a shortage of uh, like labor, and so hmm. I'm not sure if it's just because they don't know how to get those people, or they're those people aren't interested. Like they want to make big games, they don't care sure. about making digital environments for our next Marvel movie, um, or it could be like a uh, like a work um, workload kind of thing. Because I know hmm. like Hollywood is not. Um, the industry you go in if you want, like, a peaceful, you know, <laughs> yeah, <I bet. laughs> kind of <a> work. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it was just really interesting hearing about all that, too.
2: Yeah, one of the things they spoke about, um, especially with this next generation that has come up so much more with these digital virtual environments was how, uh, you know, we talked about how broadcast and cinema were merging, but, you know, they talked about how they're now going to gaming to mm-hmm. – Coach talent, for lack of a better word, not the best way to say it, but also to look for, you know, music production. How are you structuring? How are you? You know, all the things that basically we're seeing in gaming that are going to start, you know, so when you think about how many things unreal is used for it, I think it's going to become much more common in the future to have these you know individual talents that bounce between whether it's cinema or broadcast or <clears throat> because these virtual environments the way they're created are becoming a little, you're, you're, they're so far from obviously having some standardized but the way that they're interacting now it's it's becoming this you know multidiscipline so that was something Matt said that I really picked up on uh, multiple times we heard about the need for talent the right
0: people wow yeah that's interesting that's interesting to hear that um, that maybe they just uh, that they aren't stealing like from video game development or or pushing I don't know either um, recruiting from colleges or whatnot that they get into that sort of thing and it's interesting to hear that there's a lack of talent when yeah I mean there's there's how many million people are in game development and, and yeah. in particular like environmental or, or playing around with that sort of um, heck, Kelly. Kelly Shipman, our, our 3D design guy, he used to be an environmental artist and so it, it's just interesting to to hear that that's a problem. Um, yeah, it,
1: it might also be that like, okay, there's a lot of people out there with the technical skills, but it's using Unreal in a way that they're not but that wasn't is not how they trained, it's not how they learned. Like they they learned Unreal to make a game, which is very different than using it to you know, okay, now you've got to put cameras in and it's gotta follow it's like basically making cutscenes oh. and that's like all you're doing is making cutscenes. Like sure. a, it's probably a little bit of a different like skill set. Like you've gotta think about framing and you know, camera moves and stuff rather than just like make an environment yeah. and you know, <clears throat> go.
2: Um, I think it? the explosion, as you talked about, the explosion of studios and work. Um, oh, so much it's probably there's a lot of so much demand that top talent is probably but pretty far out right now. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah. Like, <laughs>
1: there was um, a little bit of talk about like cloud stuff too, but most, mostly again in this context, it, it wasn't like you know using Premiere Pro in the cloud or doing editing in the cloud. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of it was like uh, more like VP work or like camera switching, uh, you know, environments and all that kind of stuff and. Um, one of the things that came up was, hey, now that we can do things in the cloud, I don't have to bring someone on site. So now like this person that I usually fly out to like every set, it's mm-hmm. like they're just constantly flying. Now they can stay home now because there's no travel time. They can do three times the work. So it's also like they're also figuring out how to be more efficient with the people they have mm-hmm. um, because like, yeah, if you don't have to fly someone to, you know, to the UK and then to the US and then down to Mexico and then up to Brazil or whatever, I guess that's not up, but um, <laughs> It's like they, they can save a lot of money and, and help with the labor in that way. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's cool. I'm curious, did because um, I've, I've seen quite a lot of advancement in like metahumans and, and these sort of almost, I guess, fake people in a sense. Um, oh, did
1: that yeah. come up at all? Yeah. Um, so here is, uh,
0: okay, what, what was this called?
1: Uh, what was it called? Oh, Alter Ego was the show. Oh, cool. Um, So if you look up Alter Ego, I I don't know, it's probably some big show. Um, But what they are doing on that is it's yeah, the singing one. They have people who are singing. it is just completely motion captured, face capture. Um, And then uh, the person is never on stage. But they put their digital avatar on stage and then the people you know, are, are you know watching it. And what's interesting to me is they actually have crowds there. Like there's there's live crowd, but they can't see it because it's like a digital avatar, so it's, it's not actually Ooh. there. Um, so what they were saying is that what they do, I don't know if any of these shots actually show the crowd, um, but they have just a, like TV's like on the opposite side of where people are sitting. So it looks like they're looking at like the digital person, but actually they're just looking at a TV that's outside of frame. Um, And like, same thing with like the judges, like there's judges in the front, like they can't see anything. Like, I think some of them, they even have like real like background dancers. So it's just like the background dancers are just doing their thing. And then they're just looking at a TV off frame. Uh, But but it is cool to see that like, yeah, they're doing all this stuff real time. um, You know, with the face tracking, the body tracking, and it's actually decent. I mean, we've heard a lot about um, like, we did a lot of work with cord or digital, they do some motion tracking now and they talk about how much cleanup they have to do because like things get jerky and weird and like Mm -hmm. the fact that they're able to do it real time is like really impressive
0: yeah um i saw a couple examples recently of um let's see where did i i I know i shared it with internally um it was a real real time sort of mesh of uh, a deep it was like deep fake live or something and and the and then the unreal metahumans where it's it's like Tom Cruise's face. It's like, you know. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool stuff. Um, was any of that there? That kind yeah. of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean AI is always a topic of these kind of things, and it's it's interesting with these Hollywood guys, um, and they'll they'll say this themselves, so I, I feel comfortable saying it uh, that they are very resistant to change. So like new stuff, uh, because I mean, I mean, there's think of their budgets; like it's really hard for them to take a chance on something, take a chance yeah. on some new technology. Um, and then the ones that do and that are successful, it's like, all right, well, fine, now everyone's going to jump on the bandwagon. And so AI things, I think, are, are kind of at that point where like, okay, we've gone through the hype, what can it actually do, like, to the quality that I can use it on a Hollywood film, like, not where like, oh, yeah, this is a tech demo, and yeah, like, cool, neat, uh, but like, it can actually be useful. And so uh, there's a bunch of things with AI, well, a lot of it, interestingly enough, was about, uh, well, like, uh, tagging of footage so that they can use it. For archival purposes and things and um, auto transcriptions and like subtitles and um, language variations and stuff. Uh, but they were also yeah, like the deep fake stuff. Um, but interesting enough, like I think that's at the point where they weren't talking about it as far as like, is this good enough to use because I think we're already past that point. Oh, yeah. Um, they were talking about it more about the um, the legal side of things like, okay, you you hired Tom Cruise to do a a movie so you have full rights to his image in that movie and like Mm -hmm. his voice and everything what if you just take all of those things and make a deep fake and then make another movie and you put Tom Cruise in it is that OK? <laughs> is it is yeah. it not like technically you're only using things that you have full rights to. Right. But you're like converting it into something else. So like, do you have to pay Tom Cruise? Do you got to get his permission. Like, what if what if the actor is
0: is dead? Like, OK, <laughs> well, <amazing> <laughs> yeah, because I think it was Toy Story three. Um yeah, the One Potato of the, Head guy. Yeah, Mr. Potato the voice of Mr. Potato had died, I think, before production began. So they, they just cut up previously recorded lines and, like, stitched them together for that whole movie. Like, that's yeah. mind-boggling. And that's, like... That's highly manual, though, like they, they
1: individually cut up words and like blended stuff in. This would be like, no, you just give the A.I. like here's all of his lines that he's done in other movies. And he's just type out what you want him to say
0: and yeah. he just does it. And uh, they, so it, they, it's
1: just making that way faster. That's so cool.
0: A little weird and creepy, but also, like, really kind of fascinating.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think we saw that um, with the, the Book of Boba Fett recently. So spoilers, if anyone hasn't watched Whoa. any of those. Um, but, you know, Mark Hamill, you know, I mean, it was, it was previous seasons, too. But, uh, you know, younger Mark Hamill. And, like, this year when they were doing it, it looked so much better. Even just after a, a year or whatever. Like, visually it looked really good. The audio was a little still off to, to me it, it felt a little weird um but like man it was, for what it was like that's amazing what you can do these days oh, it's so cool
0: yeah yeah what about you jared what, what stood out for you um the
2: technology related to um virtual environments you know as matt talked about doing that mm-hmm. in real time um there was some Some of the vendors presenting there, one in particular had an FPGA solution for um, almost no delay virtual environments and talked about how, you know, you'll soon see kids with the ability to go right into a movie and interact with the character or the game, you know, as it's happening and um, volumetric capture. Uh, that stuff obviously is really interesting to me. I've done photography for years. So some of these things with what they're doing with light and focus um, really interests me and, and the AI stuff too. Um, yeah. We've already seen, um, there were some presentations on color. There's also, you've seen some of like what Matt's talking about. I think recently there's a lot of, uh, of um, it wasn't AI, but there was a Kenny G album where he produced using some samples and um computer-assisted construction where he did a, a solo, but they called it with the sound of uh, Stan Gatz, who's no longer alive and couldn't participate. So they'd sampled some of his notes and let the computer assist, creating a melody he'd never played. Created a lot of controversy, again, which was the focus of the conference, was kind of like oh. intellectual property and rights. So it does create a lot of those questions. But um, those were the things that really grabbed me, the virtual environments um, and, and how we're going to see these things from gaming – I don't want to say start to creep in, but you just, the way a gamer might approach a game developer might approach something versus a director, producer, you know, colorist. And I'm a big fan of that just because I believe when those different mindsets get together, even though there's kind of some butting of heads, you usually get a great art as a result of that. So the end production, I think will benefit us all as the effects just get better and better. Yeah. Those were the things I think that really impressed me the most. And Where that's going to go as far as technology, you know, it's like, geez, what's next after that? Sure, that's just so interesting.
0: Was there any talk about like virtual reality or or like metaverse (laughs) or anything like that? (laughs) Kind of, because I feel like that's a that's an interesting. I feel like virtual reality is still very much a gimmicky sort of thing. There isn't really a hook to make it like commercially popular yet yeah. like video games and stuff are kind of cool and all that, but it still feels very gimmicky. But if there's like a, a movie that like you were saying, Jared, that I could like walk around in or see what's going on, maybe someplace else during the story arc or whatever, that'd be really neat. So I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I
1: I think that kind of, oh, the, so they did bring up metaverse once in a guy who was doing like a CES, you know, like, Hey, yeah, I went to CES this year. There was no one there. It was weird. Yeah. Um, kind of a thing. Um, <laughs> but the one thing he uh, was saying is like yeah man people are v- jumping on the metaverse bandwagon and he showed a picture of like all of this, these like booth materials and stuff where pretty much they just did like a search replace for the word virtual and just like no it's metaverse just like ah come on guys <laughs> um but also vr2 uh, like vr storytelling and that kind of thing i don't think this is the right um group for that uh, we've heard in the past where, like, VR, it's it's very different doing interactive things where you can move around and stuff. Because, like, Hollywood and these guys in film, they – so much of it is about show, presenting you a very fixed story. So it's, like, making sure you see this in frame, making sure that yeah, you, you, you are catching – the main story points, whereas something like that, you know, virtual, there can be a wide story. I mean, that, at that point, it's you know, it really is just a, it's a video game. Like, like those have even like gained in popularity, haven't they recently? Ooh, yeah. Like, you know, not yeah. fighting games, but more like exploring and story-driven
0: yeah. kind of games. They, they sometimes they call them uh walking simulators where yeah, there, yeah. there isn't really a lot of, um, or, or like it meant like mist kind of was, but but you, mm-hmm. it's not click 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 through through static scenes. You can actually move through the environment and things. Yeah, yeah. Those are really cool. Uh,
1: so again, I don't think this is quite the right you know, group for the, those kind of things. Um, the one thing that it was interesting as though Jared was talking about gaming and I like, think the mirroring between the two of them. Uh, the one thing that came up in one session was. About how video games—they cram so much information onto a screen, and Mm -hmm. so like they have to do things in a way that like you can actually consume it, Mm -hmm. and how that's changing like what they're doing. I think this was kind of in the context of broadcast again, where like you know sports, how much can they put on screen? How do they put that information on screen so that you can actually consume it all without it like completely overtaking everything? So think of like you know the scores and stats in a football game. You know they put that on the bottom. Like how do you make that good without detracting from? Everything else that's going on, and how like they they're starting to take cues from video games and like you know what younger people are trying to do. What kind of caught me that was kind of funny is then they you know a Q and A session at the end, and one guy just kind of shows like the whole like. the whole mind space of a lot of these guys. Uh, he asked question of like, so I should be paying attention to what kids are doing and basing my decisions on that. And it's like, well, you totally took the wrong like approach to this. No, you don't have to like cater to kids, but you know, look look at what you know g- the game industry is
0: doing and yeah. like pull that in. <laughs> it's just yeah. um, the whole resistant to change. Yeah, I feel like maybe the question wasn't presented well, but that that does that is an interesting like point of view, I am mean, I, for one, as a the social media guy, I'm always trying to pay attention to what my teenager and, and I guess, tween, 11, 12, that what they're doing with their devices and stuff. It is important because that's your future customer. Like, that's mm-hmm. your future consumer. So if you aren't producing content in... Uh, either subject matter or, or in a format that is uh, enjoyable and, and easy for them to consume, then you're just pandering to old people. Yeah. <laughs> the,
2: uh, the Fox executive spoke to that specifically when he addressed NFL coverage, you know, they sure. talked about how this was a generation that was tuning them out Yeah, and <clears throat> it's a generation that wants to experience content from the inside out. So you think about like even our parents generation or what, what we came up with. I mean, I remember being so impressed by the the, the Skycam, which wasn't even oh, yeah. a box thing. That was an NFL films thing. You know, that wasn't even a broadcast thing. So, um, then he talked about how they've kind of turned to that. And now you see like he they talked about how the NFL gives them a lot of leeway. So even in between plays, they have cams where they're right up, how they mic players, where they're able to places to literally bring and you go watch that now and you see it, you know, on the coverage. The the even the level of production blows me away. Um but that was driven by exactly, you
0: know, what Matt was talking about. So that's cool. cool. Yeah, I think I you just want more of it. I can't wait to see, like, there'll be, like, a little camera built into the QB's helmet or something. You can see it yeah, from his point of view. They're working on
1: that. They were, they were talking about, yeah, like, uh, helmet cams on um, the players, on
2: refs, uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. I, you know, yeah, I have to tell you, I'm a, I'm a huge Formula One fan and a huge fan yeah. of their production app. I have to give them a ton of credit. I absolutely loved it this year because one of the things you can do is basically select your camera setups, pick your drivers, pin hole cams right behind. I mean, you can go to their level, which is cool. to some degree terrifying for that sport. But <laughs> it was very, very cool. It's like, I want to see this driver. These are the two things I'm kind of watching. And I think we're going to get to that level. Yeah,
1: actually, even wasn't there one of the guys who was even talking about F1? Um, and how like they're doing that. And he he was talking about how like, yeah, like me and my kid, we play Forza all, all the time. And so like we wanted like that's that's kind of where some of this inspiration came was like, well, what have they been doing in like racing Sims and racing games for so long? Let's try those camera angles. And some of them don't work because, you know, you can do things in a virtual environment, you know, like put a camera in the inside of like, you know, a seat or to make things <laughs> transparent. You can't really do that in reality. But uh, apparently they took a lot of cues from that kind of thing. I, again, well, it's like taking cues from gaming. Yeah, and seeing what you can do,
2: and, and and to tie that in too, one of the AI productions that we saw um, was from NASCAR. Really, actually, it was a great piece um, that they showed, and it, it mm-hmm. talked about how this AI can extrapolate, extrapolate footage, and make um, high frame rate slow motion footage basically through AI. Oh, but they took this beautiful panorama, obviously, and I hope nobody's heard, But this NASCAR crash slowed down into this very, what you would think was something that was shot at this extremely high frame rate. Um, so stuff like that, but where it was presented from the angle, I think it was on the bumper of one of the cars as you're going through this crash in extremely slow motion, you know, debris flying. And flying. Wow. But, I mean, it's have you like able- only one out of every five frames was real. The other ones yeah. like are
1: just completely AI interpolated.
2: No, it's similar to the way where, you know, you have programs that can extrapolate data and fill in, you know, missing frames. Same thing. It looks at the data between them and says, OK, what do I need to fill to make this logical? It's
0: really, really cool wow yeah right. so uh, were you like it looked good right like you couldn't tell oh
1: yeah no it looked like it was shot on like a fan or no what, what's that crazy high frame
0: rate camera it's not oh, phantom um, something like that the one? So, i don't and no, if I, remember, I don't know the I don't remember.
2: like they went to broadcast with it but even that at one point i wish we had it he had been at uh was it daytona the night before had one of their technicians <laughs> flying a miniature drone through the garage and to the point this this one of the most talented. I mean, my brother's a military drone. I know the skill level takes. And this guy was going underneath the cars as the technicians are working, and they're not even paying attention. You know, he's hovering ah, over the drive, going in and out of doors. That was really cool. And I mean, that I, just comes back to that whole inside out thing you know,
1: that they're mm-hmm. talking about, like getting it more like you're there and closer closer to things when you're there in person uh, or when you're there, you know, watching it on screen than you could get it even in person. Because I, mean, I still remember, like, you know, watching football games. Yeah, back when I was a kid, like there's what, like one camera <laughs> and it was just, like, all right, well, that's what you get.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. You said like the one camera sitcom versus the three cameras. That was a big deal. Yeah. It's a three camera show. Now they can have them everywhere. You know, the way they can shoot it is just it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. There's a few things I wanted to touch on Um, because like you mentioned the cloud, but uh, from the angle of, of distribution, not necessarily like workflow. Well, what was the deal with that? Because um, I, um, I feel like streaming and, and whatnot is is kind of uh, it's embedded. Like that's where what we expect as consumers is to be able to to on demand, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the cloud stuff. So uh, workflow is kind of a part of it. And uh, so there's this uh, thing called Movie Labs uh, 2030 Vision. Uh, I think is what they call it. It's like hey, this is where we want to be as Hollywood. And you know, by the year 2030. It's very ambitious. I don't think it's going to be possible. Maybe it'll be possible for like, you know, Marvel, Warner Brothers, Yeah, those big guys, maybe they'll be able to hit that, but it's not going to be mainstream at all. Um, where, you know, basically everything's in the cloud, like as soon as you shoot, like a video or record audio, it's immediately going up to the cloud, which first of all, like that part alone, like, all right, well, all of our Internet infrastructure has to get like a hundred times faster and <laughs> maybe we can do it. Um, so like there's that part and then like actually doing all of the, you know, editing and VFX and color and audio, everything in the cloud. And like, there's a lot of advantages because, OK, you have a team, you know, you're shooting in Seattle, you've got a team in New York and hey, you're also hiring some people, you know, in you know, overseas again, like I don't know, a lot of um, work is actually done out of like India, I, I believe now, oh, yeah. especially in like VFX. And so like being able to just like, all right, everyone is just logged into the cloud that's it. All of the data just stays right there. You don't have to send every, anything over, you know, make copies and by, like, you're supposed to return the copies at the end. But like, yeah, do they really? Well, I don't know. Um, so like, you know, single source of truth kind of thing. And like how that's like the end goal. And then too, like, if when you get to distribution, you don't have to like export and then upload to something else. It's just like, yep, it's done. Like, there you go. It's already on the cloud. Um, but they were talking about so much about how that doesn't work right now, like that kind of workflow, because um, one thing that came up multiple times is that you can't just spin up a virtual machine, like put on, you know, Premiere Pro and Houdini and, and say that now you're working in the cloud. Like that is yeah. so expensive. And when Hollywood says it's too expensive. All that's right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not the way to do it. Yeah, really? um, so. <laughs> yeah, so they're talking about how like they have to completely redo like these applications, like they have to be made to be run in the cloud. So mm-hmm. you're doing it's more like in browser, kind of thing rather than spinning up a virtual machine. And like, man, we're nowhere close to that. Um, there are some things that are like starting their small stuff, but like you're not gonna see like Adobe doing that for anytime soon Yeah. Uh, or, or especially like Avid. And um, they also specifically called out that there are some things that are just gonna be really hard to do in the cloud. Uh, VFX work. Because you're using like the raw source things, you know, you have to have the highest quality things possible. And like, that's the hard part, like the compute side of it. Yeah, they already send it off to render farms like it's not a big deal. Um, But you know, the actual like visual like the people working on it. Um, Same thing with like color, like, all right, you're playing a video over the cloud, like this basically like, hey, I'm going to do my color work on a YouTube copy of the video rather than like the original raw. It's like, uh, yeah, you can't do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's
1: still a lot of hurdles. There's still a lot of problems. Um, You know, a lot of them, they were saying that like, yeah, this whole vision about everything being in the cloud, like maybe we'll hit 2030, which to me then says like, all right, for everyone else, Mm -hmm. 2040, (laughs) maybe. And that's assuming that like we don't increase in any existing technology like, you know, okay, well, we're shooting 4k, sometimes 8k. Now, are we going to be shooting any higher, Uh, especially with like these LED volumes? Well, how's that going to change all of this kind of stuff? Because like, you can't do the processing, you can do some of the upfront processing in the cloud, but you can't actually drive the LED volumes in the cloud, like latency oh. and sync is already a problem having everything local. <laughs>
0: um, I wonder if, if they would end up doing some sort of solution where um, it, it's almost, it's kind of like a private sort of thing like, oh, we're, we'll run yeah. or like you have like, you'll have an office in in LA or, or I don't know, Tennessee or something cheap, somewhere cheap that, that your remote workers kind of have a direct line to that way um some of like the bandwidth issues and stuff are a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You know, private you could, I don't right? know, private trunk. I don't know exactly I'm not enough of a network nerd to know how that could how that could work but i feel like there there could be some sort of more like smaller or private sort of solutions connections and things you 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 can can do
2: that on the audio side i mean there's people working the engineering i used to i do voiceover for years you know now that's done where they just tap directly in the studio and work with the engineer remotely Mm. through through those lines it is possible yeah
1: and they, they were talking about like hybrid cloud is probably going to be the future where you have like either whether it's on set or on like in your studio, you know, a mm-hmm. private cloud. And that kind of like syncs up to the main cloud um, that has its own issues. Because then you get like, it's it like anyone who's done like programming, you know, with like Git, uh, GitHub and stuff like doing, you know, push and pulls and, you know, having to actually like merge things like oh, that's, a, that's a pain. And now having to do that between, you know, like 400 people that are going to work on a movie. Like right. kind of. <laughs> <laughs> You've Lost one problem and made you know another, uh, but yeah, I mean a lot of this stuff. Yeah, it, I think the main takeaway is it's there's not ever going to be a one size fits all solution. Yeah. Um, you know it's always going to be you know maybe these people can do everything on cloud and that works for them. Great. Other people, it's not because they're doing something different. <laughs> Who knows? You know what things are going to do. It's just. I don't know. I came out of this not worried about cloud. Because, I mean, I, that, we get asked that sometimes at shows. Like, oh, are you worried that, like, you're going to be out of business because everything's moving the cloud? It's like, no.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> Logistically, yeah, you look at it and you just go, ah. It's just- yeah, I mean, what was it, Adobe even just, I think it was at the last Adobe Max we were at, was saying, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can edit in the cloud or whatever as long as it's 1080p. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it, there's just the, the, it really does. It really does come down to the internet stuff. The the bandwidth is just not available to your home to be able to do that in a realistic way. It's just too much. Yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, it, it's bandwidth, and I think it's also the hardware that the cloud is based on. Is not at all optimal for any of these kind of like workflows. Like the cloud is made like super parallel, like you know not per core frequency. It's just how many cores you can get. Whereas you know a lot of these other things, like it doesn't. I don't care if I have 50 cores. Like I need just one that's going to be fast. Right. And so it's just like the cloud is not made for it. And some of that you can optimize. Like if they're making a version of Premiere Pro that is completely cloud based, yeah, they could probably do some work. But like that's exactly what they've been working on for the last last like 10 years anyway like it's not gonna magically become easier because now it's on
0: the cloud yeah it's i I feel like adobe's in a in an awkward position because they've built like their desktop software has is just like layers on layers of Mm -hmm. of versions and stuff um but then you have have a company like like uh runway uh runway ml um and their theirs is like a purely browser based editor, and it is it's really powerful stuff. But I think, and I think that it's because they've kind of started in the middle already. They they haven't added a bunch of stuff to what, uh, an old core. They they've deliberately built a product from the ground up with this solution in mind. And because like man, they have they have everything from the brush sort of thing. You just double click and boop, that person's cut out. That you can remove stuff from the background, uh, and it all works really well. I guess, in the cloud because it's, like, browser-based. And I don't know if if Adobe's, like, they'd have to scrap and start basically from from nothing to really I don't know actually. I don't think
1: you have to completely scrap I mean they, they recently just redid you know, a lot of their apps to make it um, M1 native you know to work on sure. ARM it's sure. so, like that's kind of the same thing I mean you're, you're you're you know completely redoing parts of it bringing in other things the hard thing I think that's going to be the hardest for like these big guys you know Avid Blackmagic Adobe is um, like backwards compatibility and yeah, that's huge sure. in this field I mean Uh, what is it in Premiere there's the legacy text tool that's been legacy now for like six years and there's some people like yeah I'm using the text tool and like now it's acting weird it's like yeah because you were supposed to move away from that six years ago and yeah (laughs) Yeah, but then they just like oh no (laughs) don't tell Adobe that they'll just be like no it's going to be problems Um, but like all of that old stuff like if you go through like the effects list in like Premiere Pro or Photoshop or any of those like it's hundreds and hundreds long and like Yeah, some of them are kind of duplicates, but the problem is like people have a set workflow Mm -hmm. and especially when you're up into this level, like Hollywood level and stuff, like making someone change their workflow. Oh, that's hard. Like, yeah, we get a lot of people are like, well, Blackmagic, Dimension Resolve is so much better than Premiere Pro. It's like, yeah, all right. Well, it doesn't matter what's better. What matters is what they're using. That's why so much of the industry is avid. Like avid is I would. you know say like Avid is not a better product than like DaVinci Resolve or Premiere the reason people use it and especially like Hollywood is they know it like they know they know its quirks it's got a lot of quirks but they know them they know how to get around them moving to something new even if it's better it's always gonna have new quirks
2: yeah Yeah. yep and I've heard that from more than a few um, visual mm -hmm. effects artists and uh, in fact I I even sold system to someone who said yeah I, I take yeah, you know, this particular studio is very married to this particular Mac and this particular way of working with Avid. And I take that and do it on your systems faster and then port it back over. <laughs> but the point was, this is what they know and what works. And I understand that, you know, <clears throat> like I said, I, I, I cut my teeth on a power director because Premiere was a little bit much for me. Even that transitions, I started to learn. Just a slightly different way of doing things, you get very used to your workflow and it it really can be tough to, to adjust. So I do understand it.
0: And now they've oh. got to learn Unreal. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's a whole other thing too. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that's it's kind of cool though that we're that we're seeing these kind of changes and stuff. I, I like I'm I'm really, really interested to see how um how this all just comes together and what people are gonna do with it is really cool. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and there's still a lot to go, like, um, you know, they're talking about even just like the LED volumes, Mm -hmm. you know, again, they're talking about all the the pros, but like, there's all these cons, like, oh, they're not actually bright enough to do like daylight, Um, you know, so like, if you want to do that, you still have to set up your own light, like where the sun is supposed to be, and like, it just shines down. So you still have to supplement lighting a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also talking about how since the LED panels are just RGB, you know, just standard Mm -hmm. RGB, just like everything else we use, um, but that can look okay but it actually results in color shifts like things that are supposed to be orange end up looking a little bit more red. Um, It's hard to get like to simulate actual like daylight, like the whole, like the spectrum of it. like, it's hard to do that with just RGB. So they're talking like, well, let's add more LEDs. Let's make it red, green, blue, teal, cyan, and white. It's like, whoa, okay. Well now you've just doubled like the complexity of the LCDs or, or the LED screens. It's like, all right, well have fun with that. Yeah. Um, so there's all that kind of stuff. Um, there was also one of the things that I'm mostly interested in because, like, they're going to need a lot more computing power for it. So it's prime for us. Is uh, <laughs> what they called uh, ghost frames. So these LED or yeah, LED panels. They're not LCD. They're LED panels. They have crazy refresh rates, like 5,000 hertz. Oh right, right. So like crazy refresh rates. So they're realizing like, well, since we're actually syncing the camera to the screen. We actually really don't need all of that, so what can we do? So um, so what they're talking about is using what they're calling ghost frames. So you could have like frame one, like the camera actually captures, Mm -hmm. and then frame two, it. They lose the virtual background and it's just a green screen. So they just project green. And then, so it like alternates frames and you actually record them in alternate. And so that afterwards, if they need to do any VFX work, which a lot of these things, like they still do a lot of VFX work afterwards, mm-hmm. they still tweak, add things, do changes. Um, and so well hey now we just have a green screen like we can just cut the actors out like anything in the foreground like it's just a it's they don't have to do rotoscope it's just a you know a key and so like that's super easy so they can do that and now they're even talking like well hey you know what kind of sucks with with these uh led volumes is we can only have one camera so hey if we want to do multiple angles we have to record multiple times and try to sync it up but you know if we can already do this ghost frame Why don't we do like the first frame is like a straight on shot. The second frame is actually for a camera that's looking this way. The third frame is like a camera from like up here. And then we do a fourth camera or a fourth one. That's just a green screen or whatever. And they they just like alternate. So the background would like flicker. Basically, I don't even know if it'd be fast enough for you. I I don't know how it would look in person, but now they can do it. And but every single one of those that they're doing has to have, you know, a whole new set of like render nodes, you know, things actually doing the screen and all the tracking. So you basically have to like, every time you double the number of like, Ghost frames or whatever, you're doubling the computing power. So for us, it's like great—we can go from five systems to twenty.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. So with that, with really that, cool. Would you need? So I guess it would be because um, the way I understand that these these volumes are kind of powered. There's usually a number of systems that control. Because it's not just one big giant screen. It's it's usually a multiples kind of stitched together. And so there's a system for each. Sort of section would then you would need another system for each camera angle for each frame or for each
1: yeah panel, which you I already guess? do you you already have to have like a system or sometimes there's specialized hardware to do like camera tracking and syncing the camera to the background because mm-hmm. the, one of the problems with like these virtual productions is if you move the camera if there's any amount of lag like you'll get weird things like it, it'll Screen look like it's parallax. <laughs> it, I don't think it'd be screens, but it be, it'll it'll be like parallax where like it doesn't quite look right like the background is not moving at the right speed or like, oh, it might continue for an extra frame when really it needs to like start going backwards because they change the direction of the camera. Um, so it's basically just another layer on top of that. Well, OK, now you're doing all that. Now you're also syncing so that you're only recording, you know, uh, you you know, this camera is recording at this millisecond and then this camera is recording at that millisecond and the screen is changing at that millisecond. So it's just another layer of sync. But that part, it sounds like it actually isn't too difficult oh. uh, since these, since they're already having to do so much syncing. It's just like, all right, all right we'll just do another layer of syncing. Um, but like, man, that sounds really cool. Like being able yeah. to do multicam in an LED volume, you know, and, and now they a need a clever, whole bunch more computers. A clever solution too. Very clever. As long as it doesn't make your, like, actors throw up because the background is like, <laughs> is constantly changing.
0: <laughs> yeah. you talking that's that, yeah, that, that kind of high refresh like that is... Yeah, I could see, I can kind of see it going either way. Like, you'd get that sort of weird, like, swimming, like, oh, this yeah. feels weird, or you just wouldn't notice at all.
1: Yeah, it, it might be the kind of thing where you could have one of them, like, is displayed for... Well, because, what is it? 24 FPS is the standard, um, so that's... Oh, I don't know. I'm going to make something up because I don't want to do the math. Let's sure. say that each frame is ten ten milliseconds long. Maybe you could have like the first frame actually shows for eight of those milliseconds mm-hmm. and then it's only the last like two milliseconds where it changes. So like our eyes visually like you might see like a flicker, but you'd never be able to tell what the difference is. So really more just looks like the screen just flickers a, a little bit. Like it's so, like, yeah, it's not great, but it's not going to make you puke. <laughs>
0: Huh. So uh, I I guess I guess the big question then is, like, how does all of this like how do these takeaways affect future systems?
1: Well, I think uh, a lot of it. uh, Sorry, go
2: ahead. It's probably more your call. Well, I think I'm thinking just along the sides of of the integration, um, Mm -hmm. because it's going to be a matter of there's so many things, which I think was which will all start from how does this get powered? Sure. Um, and kind of go from there, depending on the workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, where we come into that, I think will be constantly changing because the parts and the technology will be constantly changing. So I think, you know, from the compute side, it's just a matter of trying to anticipate. And and the one thing that I I saw constantly in these presentations was how much of this is about planning and coordination. Okay. You know, I mean, it's just so much, every shot. You know, listen to them describe the number of cameras, the mapping through the system, everything down to what the color is, lighting, director photography, all those things. And this will be part of that equation more okay. and more so as it takes, as Matt described, takes more and more to do it. Yeah. And more and more compute. Value. So
0: do you guys think that there will be more of it? So basically all the stuff that we use is is off the shelf stuff. Like it's it's. Things, Parts and things that you can just go, I mean, theoretically, you could go down to Best Buy and and, and get and and put it together. You'd mentioned earlier, Jared, about FPGAs. Um, Is that sort of custom hardware going to be more prevalent? Is that something that we might have to look into? I I think
2: like anything, um, you know, you watch any industry and there's a point where standardization occurs. So I think that stuff is so new. I mean, you're talking about people that are inventors and experimenters tinkering with what to do next, but I think it'll obviously logically get there. I don't think as Matt described, I think the ambition is always far ahead of, you know, it, it comes at a slow pace. I've, I've learned this long enough that those changes are, are slow enough. So I think it'll be there, but I think right now it's a matter of what's the best way to do this and how do we power it? And that'll kind of naturally come later.
1: Well, and I think some of it depends on what you're doing. Like they already have specialized hardware for things like camera tracking and sync. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yep, yeah, because that's doing the same thing every single time. Great. Uh, things that like, you know, what's powering the LED wall? Sure. I doubt that's ever going to become standard because they're going to want to always be able to utilize whatever the latest technology is. Okay. Like, uh, you know, think when like Nvidia came out with the RTX cards with the, the the ray tracing built in like, that's game changer, especially for this kind of a, a field. So if there's something else like that, like, man, they don't they're not going to want to use some specialized hardware that was, you know, made five years ago. They're going to be jumping on the, the bandwagon because these LED volumes, again, with the ghost framing, the resolutions are just going to go up and up and up uh, the faster they can do changes on set, like be able to change like, no, I don't like where that box is Move it over there. I don't like the color of that. Let's redo that. Uh, being able to do those things faster and faster and faster on set. like that's worth the money. Cause I mean, remember we we're talking, I don't remember if I mentioned here or another thing, but like some of these led volumes, they're paying a hundred grand a day. Yeah, and so really mention. at that end, like that's a hundred grand a day times 365 days a year. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm sure it's not actually rented out But you know, whatever <laughs> that's, you know, the cost to even if they wanted to recycle their systems every year to get like 10% performance gain, that's a drop in the bucket. That's nothing. Like a couple hours of someone renting the, the, the area pays for new computers, you
2: know, e- easily. And they're going to have to. I mean, right. yeah. demand just to keep up. That's it. <laughs> that that's that's the thing with the demand yeah. number studios being built it's just unbelievable man. you know and how big yeah. they are yeah yeah Wasn't
1: it, one of them is like is big enough they can put a 747 in it or something like that like that was well,
2: their yeah. actually what we're partnered, with very excited about view studios so you see the way most of these are set up and i don't i don't have the render with me but they're um similar to the the ability to surround the performer but the wall then extends. Um, I, I want to say it's 120 feet. He said they could fit a 737. I think it was for filming. So that's
0: insane.
2: Absolutely, that's huge. And, and well, as you as you see though, everybody kind of takes it and then does their own little innovation, and we get that next step. You know, no one has really done that yet. So here's this extended studio. It's like, okay, where is this going to go? You know, is this going to be these production domes that we all exist in, like the Truman Show or something?
0: Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, that's an interesting.
0: not well, too. Go ahead, man. Sorry.
1: Well, I was going to say the other thing, too, is like not everything can be uh, digital. Uh, they, they showed a shot from the Mandalorian, you know, like a top down
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it was like, no, the spaceship is half real because like the actor is like actually you know, going behind it and, you know, interacting with it. But like from here back, the, the spaceship is, is fake, like it's visual. So they basically just like push up this model up against the screen. And I'm sure they have to do a little bit of cleanup afterwards, you know, but to line it up and everything, make it look right. But, like, so there's still, like, there's so much interaction between the the art department, you know, making models and sets and everything that still exists. Even with virtual production, the difference is now they have a virtual art department and they're like, they're taking virtual things and making them real with like 3d printing and model making and everything. They're also taking real things and making them virtual with things like photo scans. Uh, so it's really cool to see, like it, it's just doubling the complexity now. Cause there's, there's so much interaction going on with these things and, and things like that is where I think we're, we're still have a lot of room. So, you know, watching like what is happening in like the engineering field with like 3d printing that's going to be very important for for Hollywood and and film here
0: in the future because that stuff's just getting better and better and better too nice oh that's so exciting that's gonna be really cool Um, well we have just a few minutes left is there anything you guys would like to mention
1: uh, it was a good event. It was nice to be out in person at a thing. is our first in-person event since the end of 2019, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah I think yeah, I so. Like,
1: that's nuts. Um, also, I guess if, if, if people are doing any other events, we are going to GDC next mm-hmm. th- this month. Never mind, it's March. <laughs> oh, yeah. so we're going to GDC this year. We'll actually have a booth and presence there. Uh, we also are going to NAB in April, so we'll be there and, and present. Um, so if you're going to either one of those, you know, you look us up, we'll we'll have, we'll Come. be there.
0: Come see us. Come say hi. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. We don't. We haven't. I don't think we've actually. I think we've attended GDC before, but we've never boothed at GDC. Yeah, I think this right? is our first booting.
1: Yeah, and, and I think we're still doing because. Uh, you know, game developer conference. So I think, so I think we're right. still focusing on like game engine or game engine, but like game design and that kind of side of things. Okay. Uh, but man, virtual production is, so I'm sure it's going to be a topic at GDC yeah. still too.
0: Cause it's, man, those oh, people can awful. make a lot of money if they make, if they make the jump. Well, <laughs> yeah. It would be smart because I mean, there must, there has to be, if it was such a big presence at, at a Hollywood event, there's going to have to be a presence there to yeah. try and say, Hey, Hey, you video game people like, Let's kind of come over here to, to movies, huh?
1: Yeah, maybe I'll try to tell them all to go to NAB. You know, next month. Because yeah. NAB, like we're we're even doing stuff at NAB about virtual production. I'm pretty sure. And like, it's virtual production is going to be huge. Like, it's always been kind of big at NAB, but it's always been on the broadcast side. You know, people standing in front of green screens mm-hmm. with broadcast cameras. I think it's going to be a lot bigger this year about virtual production because I mean, because what? Wow. When was the Mandalorian? Was that 2019? Something like that. So like oh, we actually haven't had an in person NAB I think since like virtual production and LED volumes we'll have actually have popularity
2: some stuff we're tied in with virtual production mm-hmm. at NAB very very exciting stuff with the company that's doing that um, while that we've talked about view studios so oh yeah it's going to be all over the NAB and <clears throat> very very cool but we will we'll be front and center
0: yeah, yeah are you coming to are you going there Jared I am. Awesome. I'm excited. GDC and AB. I'm gonna get to be hitting them all. All right on um I I kind of I kind of ran out of my own stuff. I feel kind of bad. Two <laughs> we're two we're a minute and twenty five seconds oh. shot <laughs> of our, our normal hour. Um well, no,
2: the, I was going to piggyback on what Matt said yeah, right. to encourage people to check out um, Hollywood Professional Association online. There, there's a lot more to it than you would imagine. Um, they have some very neat initiatives, um, women in post, um, get getting, you know, underrepresented voices, um, HPA, all conference, a lot of really, really cool specific initiatives. So whatever you might be looking to explore and encourage people to look at it because it goes beyond just what you see on the website. Um, very, very engaging content, but very, very fun retreat. And this is, this is the the leading indicator of what's coming in in Hollywood. You know, we're going to, we're going to be seeing this and even more
0: and more. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm especially excited to see how, the, um, like video games, or, or let me uh, let me put it more as interactive content uh, ties to film and and television, and, and in that way, because um, they've seemed, they've seemed so separate before, and and we're just getting closer and closer to where the consumption of it is it, it, there's it's just blurring those lines.
2: Yeah. You almost wonder if instead of movie releases, we'll just have virtual world releases and whether you want to interact with the film or the game or the character, whichever function of the world
0: is your type of content, but yeah, who knows where we'll go. Right. I'm just, it's going to be really cool. Cause like, I I feel, man, I can just, I can just see how um, like Bandersnatch, there was sort of a choose your own adventure style of of that. Um, I think it was like technically like a movie, I guess. Or I, I don't remember if it was episodic or not, but um, like that sort of a thing, I can I can see that becoming more of a real, or or just more common and I don't know just things like that. It'd be it's really cool. I'm excited. To just be me
1: being. Sorry, I was gonna say maybe it's me being pessimistic, but all I see is microtransactions. Like, hey, you want to explore like this person's apartment?
0: Do it for two ninety nine. That's only if EA gets involved with movie. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. No, I'm just, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, it's it's just really cool, and I'm so glad that it that we're uh, we're able to come to these events now, kind of in person. It just means a lot more, and I feel like it's a lot. It, I don't know. I don't know. It just means more to be there, and you can actually see these things work, and and how they. Can, I don't know. It just gives a better understanding of the the impact. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, and one last thing. Now we're finally we're over time. Now. <laughs> Um, is one thing that's a little bit surprised me and maybe it shouldn't anymore was how many people there knew us, knew, knew Puget systems. Uh, both the people who are like you know had like booths and they were showing things off but also just like random attendees. Um, so it's really nice to hear like we've already you know we already have authority even in these upper you know, areas like we don't need to like bully our way into a new area like we're already here like and we sometimes it feels like I don't know. You, you have the whole uh, imposter syndrome. We're like, oh, I don't really know. Like, we're really okay. it's like, no, we got to get past that. Like, yeah. we 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 are very much an authority in this space already. So we we should act that way. That's cool.
0: Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for sharing. Uh, you know your experience and insights of, of this event. Um, this was I was educational. I didn't get to go, so uh, it was good for me, and I I hope it was good for the audience as well. Um. Yeah, this was, this was really cool. Um, do you have any last anything else you'd like to say before we go? No. Any questions? Nice to
1: go out in person.
0: All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for joining us. And uh, I always like to thank the audience as well uh, for taking time out of the day to join us on, the, on our Puget Systems podcast. Um, we broadcast uh every wednesday 1 p.m pacific um some of our content is going to be pre-recorded some of it's going to be live like this uh so just mark your calendars for that wednesday is 1 p.m pacific time uh every wednesday yeah so thanks everybody and we'll see you next time thanks Bye.